Tēnā koutou no mai, haere mai. Welcome to the last Q&A of 2022. I'm Jack Tame. Today, what will the RNZ-TVNZ merger actually achieve? Things might not be sustainable yeah. unless we invest now. And we have, look, you could end up being the front man for Treasure Island. Hey, I should be so lucky. <laughs> and I have an exclusive sit-down interview with Finland's Prime Minister. I think there is uh, this kind of vague uh, nuclear threat uh, over Europe. We'll have that interview for you shortly, but we begin this morning with the grim economic forecast that looks set to dominate our lives and politics heading into next year's election. With inflation still above 7% and interest rates rapidly rising, many economists are picking New Zealand as headed for a spike in unemployment and a recession. Finance Minister Grant Robertson faces a tricky balance as he prepares for the budget. On one side, the inevitable political pressures of an election year. On the other, pressure to tighten the reins. Grant Robertson is with us this morning. Ten hour queer, good morning. Kia ora, Jack. We're counting down the days to your all-important budget policy statement. Now, last week, the Reserve Bank was explicit. Fiscal policy, i.e. government spending, is an inflationary risk. How have the worsening economic forecasts altered your plans for next year's budget? Well, in this year's budget, in May 2022, we clearly signalled that the emergency spending that had been associated with COVID, things like the wage subsidy scheme and so on, that was all disappearing. And what we're looking towards is returning our expenditure as a percentage of GDP back down to around the 30% level, the level that it's traditionally been at. That's going to make for a very tight budget, Jack. It's going to be a budget that will largely be about getting the basics right, managing New Zealand through a really tricky period of time. So while the news this week from the Reserve Bank certainly wasn't welcome. It's something that actually we've been planning for for some time. So you announced in that May budget of this year an operating uh, allowance of $4.5 billion for the 2023 budget. Will you commit to staying within that operating allowance? Well, that's, as you know, exactly what we talk about when we have the budget policy statement and the half-yearly economic and fiscal update. Um, so we'll make that announcement when we do that next week. But what I can say, Jack, is we do not intend to do things that exacerbate inflation. We recognise that that is the immediate issue in front of New Zealanders right now. The tricky situation we have is that by the middle of next year, you've got the Reserve Bank predicting a, a shallow recession. So there will need to be some shifting of gears in the economy over the course of the next year. That means we've got to strike a really careful balance now between what we spend and what we invest in, getting ourselves back to a more normal fiscal position, but also looking after New Zealanders as we go through this difficult period. That balance of those three things is what we've tried to strike over the last couple of years, and it's certainly what we'll try to do in next year's budget. What do you mean by shifting of gears? Well, what I mean is, we, this is a very strange period of time. Over the last mm. two quarters of this year and the first quarter of next year, you're actually, according to the Reserve Bank, going to see about 1.8% growth in the New Zealand economy, followed by a period of time where we'll see about a 1% contraction in the economy. So there's two quite different things going on here. We're trying to keep inflation under control, but then we're looking to a period of time mm. where we may see, for example, New Zealanders lose their job in the face of a global slowdown. So the government it's got to be able to calibrate itself to be in a position to look after New Zealanders, get the fiscal position sorted out, but still be investing in getting health and education and mm. housing right. That's the balance of being finance minister. It's what I've tried to strike for the last five years, and we're going to have to keep doing that. Who are the New Zealanders you are most worried about, and how will you endeavour to help them next year? 
Yeah, look, I mean, as we move through, the, the New Zealanders I'm most worried about now are all New Zealanders facing the cost of living crisis. I mean, everybody is affected by that mm. in different ways, and we've targeted our support to be able to support those on low and middle incomes. What I'm really concerned about is making sure that we do support those people who, are, who, who find the cost of living pressures the most difficult. We've done that in the past, and we'll continue to try to find opportunities to do that targeted so that we're not exacerbating inflation. Are you considering further cost of living payments? No, we're not. That's not on the agenda at the moment. Um, what we want to do is get ourselves through this next period of time. Mm. Obviously, on the 1st of April, we've already announced this, you'll see the increases to um, um, that we get regularly to things like family tax credit, um, main benefit rates. We announced the other day the childcare assistance policy, mm. and I think that's a really good example of how we can target in to a group of New Zealanders facing increased costs. And that'll see, you know, uh, thousands of families benefit from more support for childcare. That's an example of how we can do something that helps people but doesn't exacerbate inflation. What about the cut to the fuel excise tax? Messaging from your government over the last couple of months has been confusing at best. It is due to end next month. So can you just give us some certainty either way? Will that be extended? Well, Cabinet hasn't taken that decision, Jack. Um, what we have said all the way through is we'll look at the economic conditions as they are and make any decision then. So Cabinet hasn't finalised our position on that, but we're acutely aware of the fact mm. that actually the fuel excise duty cut has contributed to lowering inflation because fuel's such a big part of the CPI. Uh, actually, yeah. what we've done is kept inflation in check, and some of the reason why the Reserve Bank was projecting inflation to hold up was because they're projecting the fuel excise duty to disappear. But, Jack, in the end, there's no costless decision here because that money is the money that pays for our roads. That's the money that pays for our public right. transport. So it can't go on forever. We'll make our judgment very shortly around whether or not we think it can be extended. But if it does, it won't be for a long period of time because ultimately we need that money for the long term for the things New Zealanders really want and need, good quality mm. roads, good quality public so transport. When's very shortly? Very shortly. I mean, there's only a few more uh, cabinet before meetings Christmas. before the end of the year, Jack. Right, OK. Yeah, well, obviously we'll have to do that. OK. Um, we've seen central banks around the world start to ease off on some of the rate hikes. Of course, the Reserve Bank in New Zealand uh, went up 75 basis points, their highest ever increase, uh, the last review of the OCR. Do you think the Reserve Bank is out of step? Oh, well, what the Reserve Bank in New Zealand is is a little bit ahead of everybody else. So they began um, you know, their rate increases earlier than others did, partly because the New Zealand economy came through COVID more strongly than others. So we're probably a quarter or, or two quarters ahead in many ways of where others have been. Mm. It is a tricky balance for the Reserve Bank. I mean, they've got to make sure that they achieve their goal, which is getting inflation back down to that 1% to 3% band. Mm. But obviously they have to balance that against the forecasts that they themselves are making about the economy slowing. They're trying to reduce demand in the economy. There'll be a point where they'll have to shift mm. gears as well. Um, that's their job. It's an independent job that they do. But all central banks all around the world are grappling with these challenges. And they've got to work hand in glove with you. They need you to pull the levers that you have available. So Kiwi Bank is forecasting a significant surge in migration next year. 12 months from now, where would you as finance minister like to see migration inflow numbers for New Zealand? 
Yeah, Jack, I don't tend to pick a particular number there. What I want to make sure is that we've got the people we need for our economy to be able to operate well. And that is the whole point of the immigration reset, the right person in the right job at the right time. So I'm but, not but I mean, you must a, have, a target That, that still comes with a number. It's not necessarily a target. Sorry to interrupt. But, I mean, you must still, with all of the data and forecasts you have available, you must still have a baseline number whereby you know how many people we need for those jobs we need to fill. Well, actually, no, because that is, you know, an exercise within the economy of how many New Zealanders that we've managed to train up. And I'm really proud of the numbers that we've done there in terms of apprenticeship, trade training and so on. But actually, there isn't a target number. What I do recognise, Jack, to answer your question, is that we do need more people coming into New Zealand. We've had this extended period of time when the borders were shut and now we're coming out the other end of that. And we do need those people. That's why we've got the green list. It's why we've had the immigration reset. And we're now seeing, you know, tens of thousands of job checks done, visas now being granted across the board from working holiday visas through mm. to long-term work visas. So we are getting there and we will see net positive migration over the next couple of years. Will we end up back at the, you know, 70,000? No, I don't think we will. It'll be considerably short of that. Around the world, there is a massive labour shortage at the moment. It's not just New Zealand. When I was up mm. in Washington at the World Bank meetings, all of my finance minister counterparts were talking about this. So it's a competitive environment out there for labour. We want to bring people in for the right jobs, but we've also got to keep training New Zealanders as well. Is the government considering further reviews to immigration policy? We constantly update that, and you will have heard both the Prime Minister and the Minister of Immigration talk about the yeah. fact that we were constantly looking at that green list, looking at what occupations we might mm. want to put on there, making sure we're talking to industries about where their gaps are. And so, yes, you can and will continue to see that being updated as we go along. Are the current income tax brackets fair? Look, what they do is they deliver the revenue that we need to be able to have health and education and housing services. Every government in the world would want from time to time to be able to adjust those brackets um, because, of course, over time people's incomes rise mm. and you want to make sure the brackets are set well. It is a balancing act for us to make sure that we have the revenue we need to deliver the public services that New Zealanders want. Also, we don't want to put ourselves in a position where our policies exacerbate the inflationary challenge that we're facing. And bear in mind, the National Party were telling me to make tax changes in the budget in May 2022. Had we done that, I believe we would be exacerbating inflation mm. right now. So there's a balancing act there. Rates are not set in stone forever, Jack, mm. and from time to time they will get changed. But you have to balance that against what's required for the government to do its job. Is this an appropriate time to change tax brackets? Right now, as I said, no, because I don't believe if we'd done that in Budget 2022, that would have been good in terms of the inflationary picture. As we look ahead, as we look through 23 and 24, the Labor Party hasn't set its tax policy for the mm. 2023 election. So it's not that I'm not answering your question, yes, Jack. Yes, it is. We literally <laughs> haven't set it yet. Is it? No, because the answer to your question, Jack, is that we haven't set the policy yet. Is that something you would like, in your capacity as Finance Minister, to reconsider? What I'd like is to be able to make sure that we can meet the costs that we have to deliver New Zealanders mm. high-quality health services, high-quality education services, and be able to make sure that they're paying the right amount of tax for that. I believe we have been doing that, but we will always continually reassess that, as every government would. Are you considering other revenue streams? 
Uh, we're looking at our tax policy for that 2023 election. The commitment we made was that in this term, the mm. extent of the changes we would make would be the ones that we flag, such as putting in that mm. new 39 cent top rate. And we're not going to break that promise, Jack. But as we look ahead to the future, we have mm. to get that balance of revenue and expenditure right, making sure we're careful with the spending, but also making yeah. sure that we have the revenue we need. Let me ask this, because your, your manifesto for the 2020 election was explicit. You want a fair tax regime for all New Zealanders. You wouldn't ask the fairness question when it comes to individual income tax brackets. We're going to ask the same question when it comes to the big banks. Is it fair for the big banks in New Zealand to be making hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in profit at the moment? Well, bank profits in New Zealand have been relatively high for a long period of time. Um, we have a higher corporate tax rate in New Zealand mm. than many other jurisdictions overseas, so they do pay that level of corporate tax. What we've said is, for example, in the supermarket sector, where we've done this study and we can see what we believe to be excess profits being made, we're making changes within that sector. So we continually look at each sector. Um, the reality is those bank profits have been good for a long period of time, as opposed to particular windfalls per se. Um, what it is is a, a picture of the fact that the banks in New Zealand do do well, and we ask them constantly to say, well, you're doing well, pay your tax, which they do, but also uphold your social licence to operate. In downturns, look after your customers. That's what we've been saying to banks. Mm. They, in fairness to them, have told us that's what they plan to do. We will continually monitor that to make sure that we think they are playing fair with their customers when their customers are having a tough time. How high does unemployment have to go next year? Yeah, look, it's forecast to head up towards that 5% mm. mark. Um, I, like all New Zealanders, want to make sure we see as many people in work as possible. I'm really proud that we've had unemployment down around this 3 Does it have to go to 5 um, I don't think so, no, uh, but that's what the forecast Where, tells us. Where do you think it has happen. to go? We are, Look, I'm not going to pick a number here, Jack. I see a forecast based on a global economic downturn, and inevitably, if that plays out, then there will be higher unemployment. But I'm in the Labor Party, Jack. I will work hard every day to make sure that people can stay in work and we have as few people unemployed as possible. Mm. Yeah. One of the big questions around this government isn't just the spending commitments, it is the quality of the spend. And this is something that will be scrutinised incredibly carefully next year. Voters have seen this government pour money into mental health with questionable results so far. They've seen you plump up the bank accounts of dead people and New Zealanders living overseas with your cost of living payment. They've seen money designated to support victims of non-fatal strangulation go to the alleged perpetrators instead. When you compare your aspirations to your outcomes... What have you learned? Oh, look, I think COVID has taught all of us that, you know, in a crisis situation, you're forced to make difficult decisions mm. every single day. There's no costless decision. Every decision comes with a trade-off for another decision. I think on balance, we've done pretty well as a government to get through COVID mm. with 3.3% unemployment, with our levels of debt lower than most other countries in the world, with growth of about 5% of the economy since before COVID. I'm proud of the fact we've built more This isn't addressing the question. Government since the 1970s. Yeah. It is addressing the question, Jack. Well, you're giving me the, the election pitch raise... as opposed to the question, yeah. 
No, no, because the question you asked was, you know, can we say that we've achieved things with the spend that we put in? And I say, yes, we can. Is everything perfect? Of course it's not, mm. particularly when you're going through a COVID-like crisis. But when I look at New Zealand and I compare where we are to the rest of the world, I can say mm. I think we've done well and we'll strive to continue to do well through pretty tough economic times. Final question this morning, uh, Minister. Uh, the government has announced that the privatisation entrenchment in the Three Waters legislation is being scrapped. What does that episode illustrate about the pitfalls of lawmaking under urgency? Oh, I don't think it's particularly relevant to urgency. We actually spent a lot of time during uh, the Committee of the Whole House stages of this bill, more time than we would have probably during normal mm. uh, sitting hours. What it does point to, though, is that we do need to be particularly careful around things like entrenchment. And certainly during my time in Parliament, you know, there's been a number of ideas about particular policies people want mm. to entrench. We want to make sure public ownership of water assets stays in place. But I think what we've all recognised here is that when you're dealing with entrenchment, you've got to be very careful. We're going to mm -hmm. ask Parliament's Standing Orders Committee to take a look at the whole way Parliament deals with entrenchment, and we're going to make sure right. water stays in public ownership. I just hope the National Party believes that as well. Finance Minister Grant Robertson, Tenakwe, thank you for your time. After the break, an exclusive announcement from the government set to force Google and Facebook to pay for news. And then we will share a few throwaway lines from a free trade agreement that critics say could allow for Chinese government influence in New Zealand schools. Hokimai, welcome back to Q&A. The government is set to force Google and Facebook to pay New Zealand news publishers for their work. Plans for new legislation have been signed off by Cabinet and confirmed to Q&A this morning following similar legislation in Australia and Canada. Voluntary negotiations and a collective bargaining process have already been underway. But the legislation means the tech giants have a finite window within which to sign deals with Kiwi media companies before a government-mandated process takes over. I asked Broadcasting Minister Willie Jackson what the new legislation will achieve. You know, I'm really pleased that uh, Cabinet has decided to come up with a digital bargaining strategy. This is about a strategy to support the small players um, to get paid for their own news, for their online news. And uh, the reality is they haven't been paid for years and uh, for the last couple of years. Uh, and this is about supporting them. But also, you know, I've been... I've been uh, um, lobbied by the spin-offs, by Pacifica Media, by Māori Media. Everyone wants to get paid by the big guys for this. Doesn't the spin-off have a deal? Got a deal. I think they've got a deal, but you know, you always. I mean, you think they've got a deal. You've been lobbied by you, but they've already got a yeah, deal. They've got they? a deal, but people have to make deals. But the reality is. No, hang on. People have to make deals. Yeah, but if the spin offs already got a deal, yeah, why well, do they have any skin in well, the game? Well, I'm not saying they've got skin in the game. I'm saying that they've been one of the lobbyists in terms of what we should do in terms of uh, um, doing the right thing. Mm. This is the right thing to do. But it's not just about the big guys like spin off. It's about the Northern Advocate. It's about mm. the Whanganui Chronicle. It's about the Otago Daily Times. You know, journalists today. Uh, we've probably lost 50% of journalists in the last 10 years. We've got to give hope to the small guy, to the, mm. to the small players out there. And so I'm really proud to bring forward this legislation to support them. It'll be a, a, it'll be a backstop more than anything else because we're hoping that they will negotiate a good agreement. So when do they have to have negotiated that agreement by in order to avoid the mandated process? Well, we're, we're talking about the, the timeline right now and uh, we're talking maybe three to six months we'll give them in terms of trying to 
uh, reach an agreement. Mm. If there's not an agreement, then uh, a mediation, a mandatory mediation process and arbitration right. process will, will, will be put in place uh, to make sure that a fair deal but is rolled out. That mandated process will presumably favour the media outlets, the small media outlets you're talking about. So why would any media outlets do the voluntary deal right now? Why wouldn't they just hang out for that mandated process? Um, no, because it's prob probably because the big players will want to do a deal and, and our experience shows us in Canada, for instance, mm. deals have been done everywhere. They've just done, 100, they've just done 150 deals, Jack, because they don't want to go to legislation. Right. In, in Australia, the same, the same thing has happened. Legislation, they don't want to go, they don't want the government stepping in. Same thing's happened in Australia. OK. Which... Organisations have already made deals with Meta and Google. Oh, well, it's not for me to tell you all who, who's got all the deals. Do you know? Yeah, I've got a, I've got an idea on. Yeah, well, a number of them have spoken to me. A number of them have also seen. Well, which which ones uh, are there? No, no, it's are not those? for me to, to tell you who's got who's got the deals. But a number of them have said the deals are, are not. They're not good. They're going to have new deals on top of those? Uh, uh, well, no, it might be that their deals, because what I've heard is most of the deals are for 12 months or right. for 20. So, so this will be good legislation for them, you know, at, at coming towards the end of their deals. Can I say mm. that I, I've had representation from those people who've said, you know, we had to do a deal, mm. we had to do something. We don't want to lose journalists. Journalists are being lost everywhere. And mm. as I said, this will be a great backstop, and I'm really pleased. I've been lobbied. I mean, this is like a cry from the industry. Mm. They, 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 they've asked for it. What I did, Jack, was I gave the big players three months. Right. I asked them to do to do deals, either Googles or Facebooks, and to their credit, they, they made an effort. You know, they're, they're, and, and I went to some of their showcases and I've supported them, and, and good, good on them and well done. Mm. I hope they will continue uh, to work in good spirits, uh, in good spirit and in good faith. That's my hope, anyway. Right. Have, have, you, have you informed them that you'll be looking at mandating them? Uh, well, we, we did... Uh, last night right. and um, you know uh, well, well the reality is they um, uh, you know I don't think they're too happy but we must um, have good lines and good communications with them because they play an important part in terms of the New Zealand media landscape. So what happens to the collective bargaining process that had been underway? Well the collective bargaining process uh, the, the was was um, granted. Mm. The NPA National Publics mm. Association, they got the opportunity, they got the green light from the Commerce Commission in terms of mm. collective bargaining but the big players just ignored it, have just ignored it. You know, they, they've been mm. really reticent in terms of trying to negotiate. So uh, it's been a hugely frustrating pro process. And here's the here's one of the problems. There's a huge bargaining imbalance. That's what that's why we needed uh, the MPA to negotiate mm. in terms of collective bargaining. Small players can't negotiate. Mm. There's no equity in terms of how does the, the Whanganui Chronicle negotiate with Facebook or negotiate with Google. You know, it's it's really tough. So. So whilst mm. the green light came in terms of collective bargaining, um, the uh, the big players have been really reticent in terms of coming to the table. I know that you've based this legislation on legislation in Canada and Australia. Yeah. In, in Australia, I note there is already concern that the legislation isn't working as desired and that money from the big digital players that yeah. have come through those deals isn't going to public interest journalism, it's going to shareholders instead. Right. So will this legislation have any measure to stop that? Uh, well, that's what the BSA, Public Standards, uh, Broadcasting Standards Association, that's what they will 
we'll, we'll find out because they're going to be our regulator with regards to this. So they'll work through this. They'll shape the, the bargaining process, the framework, the, in terms of, uh, of of what's going to happen on, on where it's going to go. The reality is we're talking about 30 to $50 million coming back into the local market. Um, one would hope that it would be going straight to the players. I can't predict exactly what's going to happen. Will there be anything in the legislation to guarantee that money goes towards journalism well, well, not I, to shareholders? Well, well, you know, that's what I would be pushing for. Well, you're, uh, you're the minister, so absolutely. you're drafting the legislation? Well, 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 that's right. I mean, you know, that, that makes sense, doesn't it? You know, because that's why we're setting it up. You know, we've, we've got... We've, Is that something you've planned so far? Oh, it's something that I've been wanting to do for the last few few months. I've been... But specifically I've, that, that, been that allowance, that, that you're going to make sure that the money that comes from these big players, once deals are signed, goes to journalists Well, that's something that I will try and ensure is in the legislation because otherwise it's all a waste of time. It's, is it something that otherwise can, it's all a waste of time. But is it something that can be legislated? Well, well that put to put that, that in there. Yeah. Well, I would think so. I think you can. I think you can probably find. We'll find a way. No, no, no. I do know that you can find a way of framing those types of things without actually right. saying it. It's a bit like how you interview sometimes, you know. Let's talk about um, <laughs> the merger, and let's yeah. hope we can call it the merger, <laughs> the RNZ TV right. merger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, uh, select committee process is finished. The committee reports back in January. Yeah. Are you anticipating significant changes to the bill as it stands? I think there'll be some... Ch well, I know that there'll be some changes. I can't get into it, obviously, but mm. we, we heard what the uh, submitters were saying. The majority support the merger, uh, despite what you might have heard from the opposition. Uh, with the proviso, that there are a number of changes. I think probably 60 to 70 per cent support the, the merger, mm. but we understand some of the criticisms in terms of... Uh, Editorial control. I think that that was one of the the main drivers. Trust, right? Trust, absolutely. So, 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 so we'll have to make some. We'll have to. I think we have to make some changes. And you know, I can't say because I haven't got the select committee report back. But one would think that that, that uh, that's the way we we might have we might have to look at that. Mm. Your people, your CEO made those types of uh, that type of submission. I get it. You get it. I get it. Okay. I yes, want to talk I, about trust. I, 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 I believe in editorial um, independence. Well, I mean, so some people would look at the bill as it's currently drafted and say you don't, because uh, they'd say that uh, RNZ and TVNZ have more independence enshrined as it stands than they would under this new entity. But yeah. I want to dig into the trust issue a bit more. Yeah. What has the public response to the Public Interest Journalism Fund taught you about public trust? in publicly funded journalism? No, so that's an, a good question. It tells me that people who haven't been receiving funds, who lost support, uh, were very grateful, were very uh, supportive of the funds coming that way. I've seen that at, at the coalface in terms of Māori. No, I'm, talking, I'm talking about perception um, in well, the government, though. Well, I, you're talking about yeah. supporting the industry. Yeah, yeah but, but, I mean, you've said that trust is the fundamental issue. Yes, yes. And so I want to know what's happened to public trust in media especially through those media organisations that have received government money? Well, one of the perceptions, if, 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 if I'm hearing you right, is that the, 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 the view is that the, the government might be paying off uh, the media. Right? You agree that that's a perception? That, that, that's, uh, that, well, that's one of the views that was pushed our way. It didn't matter what we yeah. said, it didn't matter how we responded. Mm. Oh, this is about Jackson and them paying off their mates. Well, it never was. It was about us supporting communities and organisations who deserve support. That's why the collective bargaining mm. strategy is so important. But perception when it comes to trust is just as important <coughs> as the reality, is it not? Uh, no, sometimes perception is completely wrong. You know? I'm not asking if it's right uh, or wrong, yeah. but I'm saying it's just as important 
when it comes to an issue of trust, perception is just as important as the reality. Mm. So, so whether not or not... I'm not sure if I agree with you on that, Jack. Okay, so there's a, lot, there's, a, there's a lot of perceptions that, are, that people have... So you're not concerned that, are, that, that many people sure. would look at, say, this show, for example, and say, that received money from the Public Interest Journalism Fund. I don't trust that show anymore. Yeah, no, I, I am concerned about that because um, we have... Um, we, we've got that type of complaint. Doesn't matter what we say, what doesn't matter the history we give in terms of funding shows like this. There's one view of this is about well, Willie Jackson paying off Jack Tame. I get that. Yeah. I get that. But you're never going to change some of those perceptions. The truth is something different. The truth well is, that, I mean, th so you put 50 million in through the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Yep. You're going to put 109 million in new funding every yeah, year in right, yeah. for the new entity. How is that going to improve trust? Well, well. well Put it this way: the, the, the 50 million in terms of the public interest fund is finishing. Uh, that, we get that. that, that How that, is putting that, 109 million dollars a year into a new entity going to improve public trust? Oh, in the media? well, it'll improve. So you're coming to the, the entity now. It'll improve public um, trust because they will see a better product. What we want They'll here, see they want 109 million dollars no, no, a year no. going straight from the government into a new well, entity. No, no, well, it's about investing in our media. It's about investing in our future. It's, it's about, about trust. No, That's no, what you've no, said. No, no, you've Jack, said repeatedly. Jack, it's it's about, about trust. It's about, but sometimes it takes a while to get that trust. You know that. And this, and I think once, and you can once, lose it very quickly. And well, if there is well, the perception that the government is somehow influencing media because it's giving money to media, and, that, and that's why that's why our, our our bargaining legislation is so important. That's why it's important that they put thirty to fifty million dollars back into the market. That's why we'll have a hands-off policy in mm. terms of the merger. Let's talk about know? the hands-off policy. So at the moment, you've structured it as an autonomous crown yep, entity. Yep. Now, many many submissions to select committee suggested the structure as an ACE. Yeah. will undermine public trust in the organisation. It would be seen as being too close to the government. Are you prepared to change that no, structure? No, no, the reality is an ACE suits us because the, the, the emphasis is on a, a non-commercial uh, strategy. That's what, well, that's what an ACE is. is but it gives based. less independence than TVNZ or RNZ no, currently no, have it, from the government. It will be fine because we will... We'll, we will look at the areas in terms of editorial independence. We'll make sure there's a distance. Uh, ACE is important because the priority here, Jack, has to be a drive in terms of um, non-commercial programs. Mm. It's not all about commerciality. The reality here is that TVNZ, let's come to TVNZ, made a good effort, I think, uh, in the last couple of years in mm. terms of Māori and Pacifica. I think it's been quite good. Um, it, not a bad effort considering uh, five years ago the channel abandoned the Māori uh, department shut the Māori department down, shut the Pacifica mm. department down and contracted out everything. They followed the, because they followed the National mm. Party in terms of getting rid of the charter. Now, even though that happened, they st there's still efforts being made, but what we want to do is entrench a strategy going forward, and that's what this public media entity is all about. You, 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 I yeah, totally understand you, you that. You, you want to celebrate more diverse voices. Māori, Pacifica, Asian, women, you know, we want... We but want but a none of that will be worthwhile if you don't have the trust of I the think public. And this is, this sometimes is the trust takes point. a while, a little while to get, uh, Jack. Okay, why is the establishment board working in secrecy if trust is so important? How do you mean working in secrecy? I haven't seen any workings of the establishment uh, board. Well, the, the establishment board has worked in, in tandem with uh, some of your people, with your CEO. Your CEO has, has worked with, have, t has talked to, have talked to consultants, talked to people right across, right across uh, um, the, the spectrum. They've talked to everyone, so I don't accept that they've worked in secrecy at all. In fact, you've had representatives 
representatives. If, and you've got representatives TVNZ on the establishment. If trust board. is so important, why hasn't the government given the opposition an unredacted version of the Aotearoa New Zealand because media some, because some of the, business that, case? Because some of the um, information is commercially sensitive and your people don't want some of their accounts seen by the opposition. So you can't just... But in the interests of trust... Why not hear this? Um, we've we've given them everything that they need. They're, no, you haven't. They're, they're, no, you well, haven't. You haven't given them. A, you haven't given them an unredacted I've business had, case. I've had my officials meet with Melissa Lee. She's been into my Has office. Has Melissa Lee had an unredacted and, business and, uh, case? No, but because we're still trying trust. to trust. No, no, but you're not. You're, the trust is also in us. We've got to protect people who don't want some of their commercial accounts revealed to everyone, Jack. So it's not. You might say trust, but mm. we'll lose trust pretty quickly if we reveal those accounts, and we have to to cover that. But I have no problem, and have had no problem meeting with Melissa and with anyone who wants to talk about right. the merger. So over the course of this uh, programme, you have inadvertently undermined trust in the House when it comes to RNZ and TVNZ, and you said that you'd misspoken, so it's really important to note that. <laughs> but you've publicly pressured one of the organisations, namely Te Reo Tātaki, about a change in culture. Are you talking about yourselves? No, you've chosen an entity structure that is arguably less independent than RNZ and TVNZ are today. Your establishment board hasn't publicised its working so far. You haven't released an unredacted business case or the legal advice explaining why. How can you possibly expect the New Zealand public to trust whatever entity results? Listen to what the submitters say in terms of the select committee. 60 to 70% of the submitters support the entity. They want a few changes, particularly around the editorial side. You're, yeah. you're, you're doing a very... You're, 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 saying, no, okay. you're doing such a negative interview today. I'm very disappointed in you. But you're, you're, you can, you're you hammering every part of this entity that's all about our public uh, our identity. It's about expression in terms of the New Zealand voice. Don't you want to hear that? You guys. Fun, I mean, fundamentally, the, the, the submissions may have supported right. the concept of an entity. 60 to but 70%. It's, it's how you've structured it through this bill that they have. Well, we're not, we're not, but we're not finished yet, Jack. Okay, so okay, we've got the select so committee here, coming so back. Here, you've just drawn on the select committee. So this is from Koi Tu, the Centre for Informed Futures. A neutral, I think we would agree arbiter in this situation, quote, the bill lacks mechanisms to generate vital public trust. This includes robust representative governance and oversight that guarantees demonstrable independence and freedom from influence. Mm. That's a massive concern. Well, as I said, we, we, we've heard it all. You haven't heard the Select Committee report But back. you said you're going to keep the autonomous uh, Crown entity oh, structure. Well, absolutely, because the focus mm. uh, has to be on, 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 on non-commercial, on yeah. not being commercial, and the, and the ACE fairly represents that. What guarantees are there that funding will be maintained for the entity across different political cycles? Well, one would hope that uh, you know your mates in National will act responsibly uh, if, if, we, if we have a change of that, government. That's, that's the if, guarantee. If, one would hope. Uh, if we have a change of government in six years. The okay? guarantee, though, is... <laughs> so, so if we have a change Very of good. government in yeah, six yeah, years... Yeah, I'll give you that one. Okay. <laughs> but, but one would hope. That's well, the only well, guarantee. Well, no, but there's no guarantees in terms of uh, what happens in politics, uh, sadly, Jack. I would I would hope that um, opposition mm. um, parties would act responsibly. But you've but, seen... So there's nothing to stop National coming in, say, in 12 months' time, and instead of scrapping the new entity, completely... Uh, underfunding it, so it's essentially well, 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 you and I both know National have underfunded everything. They underfunded the health system, There's nothing the, educa to stop that though, right? the education system. Uh, they they underfund everything. What we do is double up. There's nothing. You haven't asked my question. There's nothing to stop that though, right? There's nothing. Look, tomorrow okay. they could have ended the treaty. If you have a new government coming in, particularly if David Seymour's involved, they they, they, they might want to abandon the Treaty of Waitangi. How There's much, plenty of things they could do. How much money is going into independent consultants working on this entity? Oh well, you've seen the numbers in the last couple of days, Jack. 
you have tell you? me. Yeah, I have. What are they? I didn't know you were going to. Oh, well, yeah, you, you tell me. It's a few million. No, or something. come on, you please. You're all over it. <laughs> what you want to know? You want to know how many? How, how oh, many I think it's just of under, I think it's just under four million, uh, Jack. Does that include Deloitte's fee? Well, that's a further five million, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You already knew that, didn't you, Jack? Well, I'm just interested. So, so, <laughs> you, already, so you already knew that. Seventeen contractors have been hired yes, at an average yes. price of between five and six thousand dollars a week. So, yeah. at a time when Kiwis are facing massive that's financial true. pressures, how can you justify that kind oh, of? Oh well, the, the reality is that's the the cost that you have to get in terms of specialists. That's what mm. they cost. And I, and and that everybody always looks sideways when you bring mm. that specialist advice in. Uh, and, and it is specialist advice because in terms of cultural and heritage, you got one hundred. 89 um, employees there who uh, um, don't have mm. the expertise that some of these contractors have. You have to hire that type of uh, type of uh, um, expertise. expensive specialist. Hey, the reality is we've set aside 40 mm. million in terms of getting the uh, mm. merge up and running, mm. and uh, that's part of it. Yeah. You say specialist expertise is important. Does Deloitte have any experience setting up public media entities? No, it's not. It's, it's not about that. It's about they have a plenty of experience in terms of accounting. Uh, in terms of business, they've got about twenty different strategies mm. happening at the moment uh, in terms of of the strategy going forward. In terms of Deloitte's, and uh, uh, you know, sometimes that is just what governments have yeah. to pay. All governments have to go through this type of process. What's the rush? The rush for passing this uh, because, the, as you know, the world is changing. We've got declining revenue. Mm. We've got declining audiences. Mm. Um, in terms of TVNZ going forward, I mean, this this is probably things might not be sustainable yeah. unless we invest now. And we have look, you could end up being the front man for Treasure Island. You can't. You might not be. Dreams of uh, go, yeah. I mean, that's my. You might end up there because there might be no Q and A the way that we're going because the audiences are declining. The revenue is declining. We have to but invest. You, you know in how public, complex this is, we have right? To, no, no, we have to invest in a public media mm. entity which is TVNZ mm. and RNZ and we think it's a good idea so do many people in terms of the industry and it's worth the investment but people think the concept in the broadest form is a good idea mm. but they're concerned about all of the detail yeah, well, Here, that, again I'm going to go back to Koitu we're concerned that this bill which will be a cornerstone for the sector for some decades is so incomplete and raises so many issues it would be unsafe to enact it in its present form you know how complex this area is. Why not take just a little bit longer to make sure you get all the details we right? We believe in a, a strong public media entity. That's mm. what we want. We want something like the ABC. I know, we but you haven't so, answered my question. Well, no, I'm so, telling so, you, so I'm, why not take I'm, longer I'm to I'm make sure you I'm get that right? I'm answering your question. We've been, we've been working on this for some time. Mm. We want a BBC, we want an ABC, we want a protection of New Zealand a media, mm. we want a New Zealand voice out there. We want New Zealand stories. We want Maori stories, Pacifica stories, Asian stories. And we want shows like this to be focused mm. on, and 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 it's urgent given the way the the, the world is working in yeah. terms of media. The whole the whole mm. media landscape has changed yet. No, it's I, understand, I understand. I understand that, that, which is all the more reason. All the more reason to make sure you get the details exactly right. Yeah, but if, right. You, if you wait and wait and wait, I, I think you so, know we've got the goodwill of of, of, of a lot of the mm. public. I feel that when we're out there, we've got supporters, people like you, of course, a bit disappointing. So, so but, time you know, time frame. Committee reports back January. But we're looking House at, doesn't sit till mid-February. Yeah, March the 1st. Uh, so how many sitting days have you got to pass this? I'm, I'm not sure of the Next day. year. 
here's the dates. We're looking at... You can have about eight days, aren't you? We're, we're, eight or nine days? <laughs> we should get it through. If we don't get it through, we're, we're looking at March the 1st to July the 1st. Is there a chance you won't get it through? Um, oh, at the moment, I don't. I think we will get it through. But and is there I, a chance? Oh, no, I, 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 wouldn't think, I wouldn't think there's a, a chance that you we'll miss it. You don't seem 100% committed there. Well, there's not a lot of time left. We can't afford to miss no. in terms of things. But if you keep doing negative interviews like this, what, what you, won't the, be, you won't help, Jack. What, what is the likelihood... That you will either that you will delay this bill and its progress. What is the likelihood? Yes. That we would delay this bill. Yes. That you would delay it. And what are you, you got that about? March first deadline? What is the likelihood you would oh, delay this? Look, if we miss a couple of uh, dates, it might be a, it might be a little bit later, but it won't be much later. How much later? A week or two. A week or two, if mm. if we uh, no, because you got to remember we're well, we're coming we're coming back. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think on we're coming back on mid February, Feb mid February, yeah. February fourteenth. So so. What is the likelihood that you will scrap these plans before the next election? No, no, well, at the moment, none. No likelihood whatsoever. Zero. Uh, well, You're well, going to go into well, the next election from, telling the from, New Zealand from, from public my, we're going to spend $109 million in a cost-of-living crisis every single year on a new media entity so that the public what, what, isn't sold. You know, life has to go on, uh, Jack. You know, we've, we've mm. invested more money mm. uh, in, term, in this cost-of-living crisis uh, in the health area, in the housing area, I get that. and in the education There's, area. You're not going to scrap it, though. Hold, hold on. Th those are huge priorities for us. So, you know, we've got a, a big change in terms of Farm Act. There's lots of priorities happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Broadcasting is also a priority. OK. Well, you can't just get rid of everything because we've got a cost of... Is it true you're considering Simon Bridges as chair uh, of the new... No, that's going through the process at the moment. I can't talk about that. Well, uh, you, you, you've got, we've got a number of people who are up for the board. Including so, Simon Bridges? Uh, I can't comment on that. You would just, just say no if he wasn't uh, in there. No, I just can't comment on the process. It's Broadcasting Minister Willie Jackson. I also asked him about his decision to stop work on potential co-governance plans under the UN Declaration for the Rights of Indigenous People. You'll be able to find that exchange online soon. Just search Q&A NZ on YouTube. After the break, I sit down with Finland's Prime Minister to ask what she can do to help end the Ukraine war. Hoki Mai, welcome back. The Confucius Institute is the Chinese government's premier force for cultural diplomacy around the world. But UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has just announced plans to join other countries in shutting centres down. As Fina Owen reports, New Zealand is going in a different direction. From Northern Ireland to Kenya, Chile, Slovenia to Gisborne, the Chinese government is funding Chinese language classes and culture across the globe. Mandarin language assistants, young graduates known as MLAs, are sent out from China to teach. They're administered from 500 Confucius Institutes worldwide. In New Zealand, there are three Confucius Institutes. The one here at Victoria University of Wellington was opened in 2010 by the Vice President of China, who at that time was Xi Jinping. Although there is no direct evidence of political interference from our institutes, some academics are increasingly uncomfortable about their presence. Lecturer in Chinese at Victoria University, Duncan Campbell. The embedding of the Confucius Institutes in our university system was a grave mistake. Um, they don't engage in research. Um, their teaching is focused on the school system. Um, to place them in uh, the university sector opens us up to unnecessary critique uh, on the part of our 
Ally and our uh, Five Eye partners. Right now, the institutes are preparing for the arrival of the MLAs from China to teach in Confucius classrooms around the country at a primary and secondary level. A decade ago, former National MP Jian Yang welcomed the annual intake of 150 teachers. As these people will be in New Zealand, not only to teach language in uh, Chinese, but also to teach uh, Chinese culture. But recently, New Zealand signed off a clause under our free trade agreement update to double the number of MLA teachers from China to 300. We've outsourced to party state of the People's Republic of China the teaching of Chinese and the introduction of Chinese culture to ordinary New Zealanders, and I think that's inexcusable. He stresses that the young teachers themselves should not be demonised. This is their big OE. Chinese languages lecturer Dr Catherine Churchman reckons the programme is the problem. I think the point of it is to make sure that children's first contact with Chinese is in, conducted in a manner that the state approves of, <laughs> the Chinese state approves of. How do we know of. that? Well, um, we don't know that for sure. She wonders how the teachers will deal with questions around human rights. The chance is that you may get somebody who will say, uh, when the kid says, well, I'm Tibetan, oh, you're Chinese then. I think we're creating the possibilities for very toxic engagements in our school system. Q&A wanted to ask the Auckland Confucius Institute, where most MLAs will be based, how constrained they are to answer political questions. The Institute said it was happy to answer, but their spokesperson was overseas. Down on Wellington's Courtney Place, once a bustling Cantonese market area, Wellingtonian Jack Yan is showing us where a family grocer's shop used to be. He's one of many Chinese challenging the dominance of Mandarin, the only language promoted by Chinese Language Week. He also has an issue with New Zealand's Cantonese history being ignored by the Confucius programs in our school. When you have a free trade deal and teachers coming, look, got nothing against teachers coming and teaching Nara Reo. That's beautiful. We should be multilingual. But we want them to be aware, the teachers to be aware, there is a history here that is distinct from the official Communist Party line that they may be pushing. What we should be doing really is having New Zealand Chinese teaching Mandarin, because like, there are lots of people in New Zealand who speak, speak Chinese and they could be trained up to do the work of the Confucius classroom people. So they're learning things that are good for, that New Zealanders need to learn about China, rather than the things that the Chinese government wants us to learn about China. In the midst of lockdown and protests, the PRC government-appointed teachers are now preparing to leave China and will arrive in New Zealand in January. Fina Owen with that report. Hey, Aku and a Q&A is back after the break. As one of the world's youngest leaders, Finland's Prime Minister is leading her country at a critical historical juncture. Sana Marin was in New Zealand as part of a trade delegation this week and she and I sat down in Auckland. 
Prime Minister, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I want to begin with the situation in Ukraine. Finland shares more than a thousand kilometres of border with Russia. And recently you've announced a strengthening of the border fence and some of the infrastructure at the border. What is the threat you're trying to protect against? Well, it's to do with the border control and the border surveillance. We have had very good cooperation actually with the Russian border control so far, but because of the situation in Ukraine and also the view to the future, we have to make sure that also in the future we have border secure control uh, that we will need. So we are building a fence and also the surveillance system that comes with it so that we can me make sure that also in the future our borders are secure in every situation. It's not to do with defence, it's to do with border control that we will be able to, to control the border in different kind of situations. Are you worried about Russians illegally entering Finland? Uh, well, of course, we share a border and there is uh, people moving uh, across the border every day. Uh, we have tightened uh, the visas uh, that we are now giving. So only if you have family members or specific reason to enter Finland, you are able. But no tourist visas is no more uh, submitted to Russian citizens because of the war in Ukraine. It's not right that Russian citizens can be tourists in Europe while Russian military forces are killing civilians in Ukraine. Does that mean that Russians who want to avoid military conscription can't enter Finland? Uh, well, if you have a reason uh, that is listed uh, in our decisions, then you can enter. But, but there is also restrictions that we haven't had before. And I think also that it, it's very important that we would share the same rules in European standards and European level, because we are also talking about Schengen visas. So you cannot enter Finnish border uh, to go somewhere else, but, but we are together in the Schengen system, so we need uh, common rules as well. Wouldn't it assist the Ukrainians if Finland were to take Russian men of a military age who want to escape Russia? Well, of course, if you are uh, people that think differently, for example, you are persecuted in Russia because you don't want to engage to the war or you think differently than the administration there, uh, then you are able to seek uh, a refugee from Europe, for example, or enter. We have the list of reasons why you can come. And of course, we want to make sure, for example, that media personnel or, or people that think differently that are under the threat in Russia that they can also enter, uh, but the thing that you are referring that we would take uh, certain age men to Finland that they wouldn't participate in the war. No, we don't want uh, that kind of people entering Finland because we also know that Russia is actually using, using Russian people as a tool to engage in other countries. So if you have uh, a lot of Russian people in your country, then Russia is saying in their foreign policy that they want to protect their own citizens and then they have the right uh, to, to do uh, different things. So I think it also uh, opposes uh, a foreign policy threat if you have a lot of Russian citizens in your soil. In a worst case scenario, what would happen if Finland was drawn into conflict with Russia? Well, I don't think that we should discuss about 
Finland, we should discuss about Ukraine. The war is in Ukraine. Civilians are killed in Ukraine. And we, as Finnish people, as European citizens, as democratic countries, we have to help. We have to help them. We don't need to look ourselves. We need to look at Ukraine and make sure that they will win. Because the war is in Ukraine and people are killed every day in Ukraine. And there are also different kind of war crimes committed in Ukraine. Brutal, brutal war crimes. So we are not focusing ourselves. We are focusing on Ukraine. And I think it also benefits us, us to make sure that Ukraine will win the war and preferably sooner than later. Because if Ukraine won't win, if Russia thinks it won the war somehow, then it will only uh, look different ways. I think they will gauge to Moldova, the Western Balkans, maybe even the Baltic countries. And then we would be in war in every decade. So I think the Russian mentality is showing its face now that actually it thinks that they have the right to enter not another country's soil to commit these brutal war crimes and, and do what they want. And we have to make sure that they will lose. The answer to this may be obvious. Do you trust Vladimir Putin? As a leader he is now. No, I don't trust him. I don't trust, trust the Russian Federation. They are, they are against all the uh, international treaties that they have themselves signed. So no, they are not uh, acting uh, by the treaties that they are committed to. So we don't uh, trust their actions right now, no. Do you trust Vladimir Putin not to use nuclear weapons? I think there is uh, this kind of vague uh, nuclear threat uh, over Europe. Uh, we don't think that they would use nuclear weapons, not strategic nuclear weapons, for example. But we cannot uh, be certain that there won't be uh, this kind of threat. Uh, but of course that would only escalate the situation that would be very very severe uh, and of course there would be actions from different sides as well but we all have to hope that it doesn't come to that but there would be some reason uh, in 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 russia that they wouldn't use these kind of weapons that would be devastating for everyone how do you think the war will end well, I hope the war will end soon, and I hope the war will end Russian troops sending out of Ukraine, that Ukraine will win all the territories that are now under Russian control. But the main uh, issue is, of course, the Ukrainians themselves to setting uh, the rules uh, and the, the basis for some for a peace so we have to support ukraine for the peace they have to decide themselves and we have to support what is their decision that's how you hope the war will end but how do you think the war will end i think it will win the ukrainians win let's talk about new zealand you're in new zealand as part of a business delegation and as i'm sure you're aware our biggest export is agricultural commodities when we think of finland we think of the likes of nokia if New Zealand wants to become a higher earning exporter with more sustainable exports in the future, what would be your advice? I think it's very important to invest in research, development and innovation. Uh, we are actually now sharing a goal together with also opposition parties to raise our uh, R&D uh, investments to 4% to 2030. So that's very high ambitious goal and we are shared, sharing that also with the private sector and actually the government will only provide one third uh, of the investment funds and two thirds will come from the private sector. So we are now looking towards the future and making sure that we are uh, using enough money to research, development, innovation, new technologies where we can also uh, gain uh, the export income in the future. You have warned about democracies over-reliance 
reliance on trading relationships with countries that have autocratic regimes. New Zealand's largest trading partner is China. Do you think New Zealand needs to reassess its trading priorities? I think everyone does. Uh, we will see in the future that technologies uh, and the digital environment will only be more in our societies than now. Uh, and we have to make sure that we don't have that kind of dependencies that uh, becomes vulnerabilities and risks uh, that will come to, to realize. So we have to make sure that we have different tra trading routes, that we have uh, democratic partners that we trade with, that we have the capabilities to produce, for example, semiconductors, chips, all the critical infrastructure that we need in our digital societies. So we cannot be dependent on authoritarian regimes. And we have to also learn from the current crisis, the current war in Europe. We are, as Europeans, we are too dependent on Russian energy. And we cannot be as dependent on new technologies and the digital infrastructure when it comes to authoritarian countries. We cannot be that vulnerable. We have to have our own strengths, our own know-how, our own knowledge and our own production and the trading routes between democratic countries and partners. Finally then, internationally you are best known as being one of the youngest leaders on the world stage, uh, probably the best dancer as well. Do you feel like at times you have been held to a different standard to other leaders? Uh, well, of course, I think there are double standards uh, in societies. We know that's a reality for uh, many women, also many people from different backgrounds. I think it's very important that we have people from different backgrounds, different genders, different age, different generations, uh, in the same decision-making table. I think that's the only way to make sure that all the angles are taking part of when you're making decisions. I think the decisions are better when it's made together with different kind of people. Prime Minister, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. That is Finland Prime Minister Sana Marin. Ko mutu, that is Q&A for this week and this year. Before we go, I just want to say a massive thanks to the Q&A team. From Fina, Siobhan, Ira, Connor, Kara, Alex and me, thank you so much for watching. Meri krimbete, nā mihi o te Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. 2023 is going to be massive. We'll see you then. Q&A is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air.